We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast that focuses on the intersection between Judaism, our Torah, and pop culture. What's poppin'? We are your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky, and as always, I'm here with... Rabbi Michael Knopf. And today, Mike, what are we talking about? We are talking about An American Pickle, new movie on HBO Max starring Seth Rogen uh, and produced by Seth Rogen, his frequent collaborator, Evan Goldberg. Uh, the, the movie was uh, based on a, a series of short stories by Simon Rich called Sellout, uh, and um, it was directed by Brandon Trost. Basically, it follows the story of uh, Herschel Greenbaum, one Herschel Greenbaum, who is from the old country, uh, a Jewish man from the old country, uh, and uh, falls in love, marries uh, the love of his life named Sarah. They immigrate to America at, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century uh, at, to fulfill the American dream, to become great success, as they say in the, in the movie. Uh, and uh, echoes of Borat there, I suppose. Um, yeah, and- that, was, that was more Borat than Herschel Greenbaum. Yeah, okay, I'll keep working on it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, Herschel takes a job uh, as a uh, rat killer in a pickle factory in uh, 19, early 1920s Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, in an attempt to smash a great big rat, he ends up falling into a vat of pickle brine uh, and gets left there for 80 years until he is discovered by a couple of uh, teenagers uh, and uh, he has been uh, fully preserved in the pickle brine. The movie itself uh, kind of uh, plays with that. Like, do you expect us to believe uh, that, uh, that this would actually scientifically work? Uh, and, uh, and, you know, sort of like with a wink to the audience, basically like, yes, you know, just suspend disbelief for a moment because we need to establish the premise that this man was uh, preserved perfectly in pickle brine for 80 years. Discovers, you know, like Rip Van Winkle, uh, that uh, that while he hasn't changed, the entire world around him has changed. Right? Imagine the difference between 1920s and, and 2020s uh, Brooklyn, uh, and uh, finds that everybody he had known uh, was long dead, but that he has one living relative, his great grandson named Ben Greenbaum, who is also played by Seth Rogen. Uh, the movie. Uh, follows the two reuniting, uh, Ben teaching his great-grandfather uh, Herschel about what it's like, what life is like in, um, in the 21st century, uh, and uh, Herschel uh, interacting with, uh, with, with his young great-grandson, uh, in particular around you know, what has been lost uh, in, in those intervening uh, decades. Um, and in particular, the movie's kind of... Uh, um, uh, action really kind of takes off when uh, Herschel demands that Ben take uh, him to the family cemetery plots to see where his wife and his children uh, are, are buried. Um, and he does and realizes that the whole uh, cemetery is overgrown, um, is, uh, uh, has overpasses from the highway built on top of it. Um, and there's a billboard 
for uh, vanilla vodka uh, plastered right above uh, the, uh, the the grave sites, which uh, uh, makes infuriates Herschel, and he vows to um, to uh, earn money so that he can buy the billboard, take it down, and restore his family's honor and his legacy. The movie kind of takes off from there. We'll give away too much. Jesse, let's talk about the movie itself. What'd you think? You know, it was sort of a Jewish version of Encino Man. Uh, Seth Rogen. I love, is that. No, I love that comparison. There's no Brendan Fraser. They can't um, all be. They can't all be. I, I thought. And no Polly Shore. Where, and no Polly Shore. Yeah, where is Polly Shore? Um, I thought it was a really interesting film. Uh, it was not Seth Rogen's best. It, it was it was fine and enjoyable. It was not laugh out loud funny for me, uh, like some of the other uh, movies that he's done are. Although this movie focused on less bathroom humor, drug humor, uh, genitalia humor than his other films have. He was brilliant as Herschel Greenbaum. I actually thought he was better as Herschel Greenbaum as this Eastern European Jewish immigrant than he was as Ben Greenbaum. That was essentially uh, the guy that he plays in every movie. Uh, and, I, and, I do, and I do want to add there that, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of performance, in terms of, you know, acting, you know, starring as two different characters uh, in the same movie um, is, is a really high degree of acting difficulty that we wouldn't normally associate with Seth Rogen, even though he has had some turns in some prestige movies uh, like, uh, like Aaron Sorkin's uh, Steve Jobs uh, biopic, uh, where he uh, plays Steve Wozniak. Uh, and he, you know, he shows that he has some dramatic chops in, in those kind of roles too. But, but this was, I, I felt he, he took it to a, a, a new level in, in, this, in, in this performance, these dual performances. Um, you know, neither of them were one-dimensional characters. They, they, they both had some depth to them. Absolutely, and, I, and it's not easy, right, to, to play both roles. He's no James Franco. Um, but I think what's really interesting about the story is it speaks on a number of levels about the American Jewish experience. It speaks about assimilation, how 100 years later, the great-grandson was not connected to Judaism as all, at all. He, when Herschel asks him, are you still Jewish? He says, technically, but he's not a practicing Jew. Uh, Judaism is not a part of his everyday life or not even a part of his occasional life. Uh, he's not even Jewish from a cultural standpoint. He identifies sort of as Jewish. He does Jewish, live in Brooklyn. He does live but in Brooklyn. He does live in, in Williamsburg, uh, but, but trendy, gentrified Williamsburg. But he, his Jewish experience is so different. I think about that a lot, about this idea that Herschel Greenbaum not only came to America for a land of opportunity, but this character comes to be freed from oppression because of his Jewish expression, wants to live a life as a Jew however he sees fit. And in some ways, that's exactly what his great-grandson Ben is doing. He's living his life as a Jew exactly as he sees fit. It's just totally different and totally disconnected from the way his great grandfather did. You know, the, the disconnect was was very present in, in this movie. I mean, it's exacerbated by the premise of, you know, someone, you know, skipping um, 80 or 100 years of history and waking up in a different time and place. But I think it actually really did, you know, hit on something that I find to be very prevalent in, in our time, um, which is, you know, that, that we are um, a, a society that in, you know, in, in a lot of large ways um, is, you know, very disconnected from our past, from our from our history, from our ancestry. Uh, part of that is 
is profoundly American, right? Uh, you know, the, the sort of like American ethos is to keep on turning the page, right? Marching forward, going to, you know, new horizons. Uh, and, and so, you know, and, and that is the immigrant experience too, right? Where, you know, the, the, the uh, first generation uh, who uh, uh, immigrate to America have a very uh, keen sense of, uh, of, of place and, and heritage, sometimes wanting deliberately to reject that as, you know, was the case with a lot of Jews when they first came uh, over to the U.S. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it, it, an inseparable connection to, you know, to, to their homeland. Um, and in the second generation, you know, there's often uh, a, a, a break away from that by the, so that by the time you get to the third or fourth generation, um, especially for people who can uh, pass as white as, as so many Jews did, there's, you know, th that, that pull and promise of assimilation um, is, um, is, is really uh, alluring and really attractive. Uh, and so, you know, so I, and I find this, you know, of, of uh, a lot of my peers, our peers, our age and, and younger people as well, especially in uh, the Jewish community, um, that, uh, that, you know, their, their um, assimilation, I don't use that as a bad word, I just use it as sort of like a scientific word, their assimilation into the sort of, you know, um, general um, homogenous, you know, white American society um, is, uh, is, is more or less complete. Um, and, um, and they're, you know, and, and they're no longer uh, tethered in any meaningful way uh, to um, to their heritage and to their ancestry. And yet, simultaneously, you're seeing, I think, a, a surge in this country right now of of interest, curiosity, a longing for uh, uh, for connection with their heritage. Right. So I think that's why you have an explosion of people, you know, doing ancestry.com and the. DNA kits and why you see this in the movie that people are, you know, especially in hipster culture, right? There's a fascination with the sort of like old world ways of doing things, right? People, all they want are Herschel Greenbaum's artisanal rainwater pickles um, because there's a sense of authenticity there that I think people are, are craving in, in this moment. I wonder about that because, you know, that's some of the, not, not to, um, you know, hate on our brothers and sisters in the Jewish community, but there are some who affiliate with Chabad, for example, who very much do not look like Chabadniks, but they say if they're going to get a Jewish experience, they want it to feel authentic. Right. There's something that's troublesome. Yeah, Chabad is the artisanal pickle. Right. The <laughs> there, there's something, you know, problematic for me about that because I don't see that as authentic, right? It was authentic. Herschel Greenbaum is authentic for you know, 1920s America, but not authentic for 2020 America. And how do we make sure that the Jewish ex experience and expression evolves? You know, in some ways, I think Ben Greenbaum's journey and story is a very powerful one. He ends up being deeply connected to Jewish ritual in some ways. This, this, story ends with him with his great-grandfather, St. Kaddish. His great-grandfather, St. Kaddish, for his beloved wife who passed away while he was uh, stuck in, in the pickle brine. And Ben is St. Kaddish for his parents who died in a car crash years ago at a very young age, but he sort of disconnected from Judaism, the movie suggests, when that happened, not being able to deal with the grief of this tragic loss. And in some ways, tragedy and loss 
brings us back to ritual or it pushes us further away from ritual. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a really good point. The, uh, but I, I, I want to also add that uh, that Seth Rogen's Aramaic and his Yiddish were, um, I think, really well done uh, in this film. So kudos to you, Seth Rogen, on your Aramaic and your Yiddish. Uh, but he did go to Jewish school. He did go to Jewish camp. He grew up in, you know, a very active Jewish community uh, and Jewish life. Evan Goldberg, he met in their pre-bar mitzvah class, learning how to wrap to filling. Right, and, and and maybe we should take a moment uh, in uh, a, a little bit later in the pod to talk about um, the the current relationship between Seth Rogen and and the Jewish community because there are um, uh, there's some uh, fraught issues there that, uh, that that are I think worthy of, of conversation. Um, but I think you're right. I think that uh, that the, the movie does raise the question about you know what what does authenticity mean? Um, I think about this often when people use the word tradition or traditional. Uh, because uh, I think, like you're right, that Herschel's Judaism, Jewish expression, was perfectly authentic and perfectly traditional uh, for the time and place uh, that he came from. Uh, but I, I'm not so sure that it re reflects, you know, uh, the authenticity of what what Judaism means and looks like in in the 21st century. I think, I mean, just theologically, right? Um, Herschel was, you know, pickled and primed uh, before um, the, you know, the the the, the three kind of um, seismic events um, in world history, but also in, especially in Jewish thought in the mid 20th century, which are, um, which are Auschwitz, uh, or the Holocaust, uh, the dropping of the atomic bomb, and the, um, and, the creation, the state of Israel. and the creation of the state of Israel, right? And so, you know, those are, those are seismic events for, for Jewish uh, theology. Um, and so, you know, I, I uh, um, and, and it's also, I think, you know, reflected in the fact that the 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 old theology that was probably the theology that Seth Rogen was taught, or at least that his character Ben Greenbaum was taught, which was probably the which is more or less the theology that that I was taught, you know, growing up as a as a as a kid, um, you know, a theology that hadn't yet fully grappled with the horrors of the Holocaust and the meaning of the founding of the state of Israel. Um, what was a, was, was a theology of, you know, um, an all powerful God um, who, you know, kind of um, controls destiny uh, and, uh, you know, punishes the wicked uh, and, uh, and rewards the faithful. Uh, and, and, and yet I think to, you know, um, to, to give Ben Greenbaum credit, right, when you see your parents uh, die young in a, in a tragic car accident, um, that, you know, um, that, that shatters that kind of theology. Um, Rabbi know. Neil Gilman of Blessed Memory, uh, who was our teacher, Mike, when yeah. we both studied at, at the Jewish Theological Seminary, uh, was a really prominent Jewish theologian of the 20th century, would teach that a true belief in God is a constant questioning of one's belief in God, that our relationship with God as our partner should be different when we are bringing life into this world. And it should be different when we are mourning the loss of a loved one, that if our relationship with God is steadfast, which is actually what Herschel Greenbaum suggest that a Jew is a Jew is a Jew is a Jew, and this is what a Jew does, this is what a Jew does, this is what a Jew does, that doesn't allow for space. The whole idea of this podcast is to talk about the intersection of pop culture and Judaism, suggesting that actually what's going on in, from an entertainment perspective in the world around us is Torah in and of itself. This too is Torah, as the Talmud says. 
Herschel is suggesting, nope, this is what Judaism is, no matter what, it's very black and white, but we don't live in a black and white world. And I would say this to you as a conservative rabbi, saying this as a conservative rabbi, is that the theology and ideology of Judaism that I believe in is also not black and white. It's about evolution. It's about there being a lot of gray and color and what goes on in the world ends up impacting our relationship with God and our ritual. Yeah, but you know, what's, what's interesting about it is I think that, you know, in, in kind of putting Ben and Herschel together, uh, it, it, you know, it actually expresses that, uh, that, that both are needed, right? So, so it, it's common and, and I, I think natural uh, to, um, to, to turn to tradition um, or to faith uh, in, in times of, in trying times and times of challenge, you know, which is, you know, what, what Ben ultimately comes to. Um, on the other hand, like if you don't have the cultural language um, to, to a, you know, to access uh, those traditions and those rituals, if you have no connection to it, um, if, you, if you're not practiced at it, right? Um, if you don't have that bedrock, um, then, then first of all, you know, turning to it in those moments is, go, is not going to be particularly meaningful um, and they won't be available to you. They may not even be available to you uh, in, in those moments. So I think that putting Ben and, and Herschel together, um, you know, kind of represents, I think, the, the, the push and pull of, you know, um, ancestral heritage and the, and the need to kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, the experiential need to, you know, live in this moment, right? And I think that my sense of Judaism, why ultimately I'm a conservative Jew, is, is I believe in that, right? I believe in that sort of dynamic within the tradition um, that, that we need both of those things. We need the, um, the, 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 the emotional, um, experiential, spontaneous uh, expression of, uh, of, of faith and also the recognition that, um, that, that, we, that when those moments happen, we may not otherwise have the, have the tools that we need to make them meaningful um, and, to, and to draw spiritual connection and growth out of those uh, experiences if we don't have what was passed down to us. Um, there, you know, there's, there's another, this is expressed, you know, at the end of the movie, and this is, I guess, a spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it yet. It's on HBO Max, uh, by the way. Uh, Can we so, just talk you know, about for a second also a knock <laughs> on HBO Max that I cannot it, watch it, it on Roku or on my Amazon Fire Stick. I had to watch it on a tablet. I was denied the big screen experience of two Seth Rogans at once. Uh, HBO, if you're listening, uh, Warner Media, if you are listening, um, this is a problem that needs to be rectified right now. Roku, if you're listening, Jeff Bezos, who I know is listening, um, these are these are problems that need to be rectified immediately. Thank you very much for your kindness and courtesy. Okay, so what I want to say is at the end of the movie, um, you know, where uh, the the two ultimately reconcile after having quite a falling out, uh, Ben says to him, you know, we actually could benefit from each other. We could, we actually need each other, right? Like you have knowledge about how to do something um, and uh, recognition for your expertise in that knowledge that, that I don't have. But I also have skills that you need to be able to, you know, go into business and sell your pickles and, uh, and market them to the rest of the world. So I think that there is, you know, a sort of uh, harmony at the end of the movie um, that, that strikes me, you know, again, it's hard to step out of my own perspective on this, but, um, but this strikes me as very conservative Jewish uh, outcome, right? That, that the past and the future uh, or the past and the present um, should be in, in, in dynamic conversation together. And we have 
something to learn from our ancestors, but our ancestors' tradition has something to learn from the present moment too. Right, Mordechai Waxman of Blessed Memory, Rabbi Mordechai Waxman said tradition and change, that that is what conservative Judaism is. Herschel Greenbaum was willing to change, but he was only willing to change because he woke up a hundred years later. He was not willing to change and evolve in his own time period. And I think that is the struggle in Judaism and Jewish community is when we conform, when we evolve, or when we hold true and steadfast to the way things had been done once upon a time, because we believe those are the way that should always, that's the way things should always happen. I think of the uh, teaching in Masechah Menachot of uh, when Moses is talking to God and God sends Moses into Rabbi Akiva's Beit Midrash, Rabbi Akiva's study hall. And he's sitting in the back of the classroom and Rabbi Akiva is teaching and Moses has no idea what's being said. He gets upset. He feels faint. But then one of the students asked Rabbi Akiva, what's the source of this teaching that you're teaching? A teaching that has nothing to do with Torah. It's not found in Torah at all. And Rabbi Akiva simply says it's meaning that this law was given to Moses at Sinai, and all of a sudden Moses feels comforted and his mind is settled. You know, if Judaism evolves, but we remember that the core is the same, the essence is the same, then it's all good. I think Ben was abandoning Judaism altogether. He wasn't trying to hold fast to Judaism at all. Would Herschel have been comforted if Ben was still connecting to Judaism? Was he distraught because it seemed like Ben had completely abandoned Judaism? Not even settling for a Judaism that looked different than his Judaism. It was just no Judaism. Right. Rabbi Joel Roth uh, uses the metaphor of a, of a book, right, that our ancestors, you know, wrote uh, subsequent chapters of, of, of what Jewish, you know, thought, uh, practice, expression, uh, wisdom was. Uh, and, you know, every subsequent generation or every, every individual Jewish person contributes their, their verse, their page, their chapter. Uh, and, but he would always warn against, um, you know, like not just writing a new chapter, but starting a new book altogether, right? It strikes me that uh, at least uh, you know before his character grows toward the end of the movie, that Seth Rogen, that Ben Greenbaum's, that the character of Ben Greenbaum reflects um, starting a new book altogether, right? That uh, that you sort of uh, stepped outside of where you came from, and you you just want a fresh piece of paper, you want a blank page, uh, and I think that that you know the confrontation with his with his past um, is um, is. Uh, um, surprising um, and unsettling uh, to him. And that's the, you know, generates the, the conflict in the movie. Um, and so the question, I think for us, the question that that Midrash raises is, you know, um, what book are we writing, right? Are we, or, or, or what book are we writing in, right? Are we, uh, um, you know, within a conversation, an ongoing conversation that's a, that may be evolving, that may be changing, but we can, but we can tie it back to the original conversation in some meaningful way. We can say self-consciously that yes, like we're, we're, we're part of writing this book together. We see ourselves as the next link in that chain. But it's still um, halakha lemosha misinai. Right, right, right. Or, I mean, we can, we can at least say that it is, right? That, that, we, that we care enough about the progeny of, you know, we care enough about the authority um, of, of, uh, of 
practice and of tradition to be able to say that, even if it may not be uh, objectively true, right? Because the truth of the matter is in that midrash, like objectively, it, what, you know, the, the, the law that they're talking about is not a law that was given to Moses at Sinai. What they're saying, I think, is that, um, is that uh, what we're doing um, is, is part of a chain of tradition that stretches all the way back to Moses at Sinai. Yes. I mean, it is possible that they actually yes. thought that's it's, what they were it's talking It's to show about. because if something is from Moses, something was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, it gives it a level of authority and validity that some rabbi talking about it in the Babylonian Talmud, you know, to 1600 years ago doesn't make sense in the same way. I think about that, you know, I think about where we are even in Torah now, if we look at Torah from a modern biblical critical perspective, the entire book of Deuteronomy was an add-on. The entire book of Deuteronomy was added to the biblical canon much later, and there's nothing new in it. It's an entirely a retelling of what happens from the middle of the book of Exodus to the end of the book of Numbers. But why was it this missing book all of a sudden discovered and found? because the Jewish people weren't following the laws, so they needed another book to remind them of the laws that they should follow, the life that they should live. It was actually creating a new book to emphasize that we weren't doing enough reading of the old book. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't wanna go down a rabbit hole of this, but I, I might dispute the characterization of, uh, of, of what scholarship is thinking about uh, Deuteronomy these days, but, um, but I think that the, the point that you're making um, is, is one that's really, really important, right, and why um, you know, some people lose their faith when they encounter uh, the, you know, what's what's known as the documentary hypothesis or now supplementary hypothesis, the the, the theory um, that is based on, you know, a lot of good evidence uh, that the that the Torah was written by multiple authors over over a long period of time. Um, but that, but to me, that's so inspiring, right? That that what we take as a sacred book is not necessarily, you know, a direct dictation from the mouth of God although it may also be that, right? But that it is a repository of, of our ancestors and many ancestors over a long period of time of their, of their best attempts to distill what they thought was divine wisdom um, and to teach it and, and, and to um, save it for posterity. Uh, and that's that, what Judaism is, right? right Judaism right. is our attempts, humanity's attempts, at being God's partner in creation and trying to build the world that God initially set out to build. And that's why I believe that society influences Judaism and Judaism influences society so that if the world looks very different in the year 2020 than it did in 1920, our Jewish practice and understanding of Jewish ritual should be different as well. There's a reason that we believe in egalitarianism and men and women are treated equally with regards to ritual and ritual practice in the synagogue. There's a reason that we believe that the LGBTQ community is fully embraced and celebrated within our synagogue. There's a reason that we open up our doors and welcome in interfaith families in the same way that we do if every member of the home was born Jewish and affiliates as a Jew, because we understand that community evolves. And so Jewish community evolves and Jewish expression evolves. And those who have access to Jewish community evolves as well. Right. So this may be a good moment to bring in, to, to step outside the film and, and bring in some of the, um, 
conversation or controversy uh, around some things that uh, Seth Rogen uh, has has said in, in doing press for this movie because because these questions bring up you know precisely what you're talking about which is you know um, uh, uh, who's included within within Jewish community uh, and within that ongoing Jewish conversation uh, you know where where you know so often you know what what um, uh, what what challenges the Jewish community is not so much you know what does Judaism believe um, and what do we practice, um, which may have been the you know raging debates of the of of the middle of the twentieth century, but now the raging debates are you know what's 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 a kosher opinion um, within within Jewish life, right? And uh, you know so so that um, and I, I I don't know I mean I can I you know I can I can think of any number of ways. Uh, that that um, uh, that that manifests for for me in my corner of the Jewish world. Uh, but anyway, Seth Rogen was being interviewed uh, on uh, Mark Maron's podcast, uh, and, uh, and he was asked uh, about uh, uh, about Israel, uh, and um, he said that uh, uh, quote he had been fed a huge amount of lies about Israel when he was growing up in Vancouver. Uh, when he was attending the Talmud Torah Day School until he was uh, bar mitzvah age, uh, and uh, you know, and, and talking about the um, the, the relationship uh, between uh, Israelis and Palestinians, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and the the nature of Zionism. Uh, so uh, Seth Rogen uh, made these comments and, and some other comments uh, on that podcast and other uh, stops in the press junket, uh, and stirred up a lot of controversy. Uh, Jesse, what do you make of this controversy? I sort of wonder, this is the pessimist in me, if this was meant to promote his film somewhat. Uh, this is a very niche film. When Seth Rogen, after this controversy started with him ma making critical statements about the state of Israel and wondering if the state of Israel should even exist anymore. Uh, he was interviewed by Haaretz, which is a very left-wing progressive paper in Israel. Uh, for what it's worth, Mike and I both used to write op-eds for it. He acknowledges how, quote-unquote, Jewy of a film it is. That he actually was began filming this right after the Tree of Life shooting happened and wondered if there was room for this film in America, that who would enjoy this film? I mean, honestly, I can't imagine, although there is some humor to it, right, about the, it's a age old story of somebody from one generation being transported to the future and adjusting to the world. I can't imagine that somebody who does not identify as a Jew would find this movie as meaningful or as worthwhile of a story as you or I do. And so I think he's trying to put his name out there in the Jewish community to create buzz for this movie that was dropping, not in theaters, but on a brand new streaming service. I think it's really interesting. He is somebody that the Jewish community celebrated when he called out anti-Semitism. He's somebody the Jewish community celebrated when he called out Trump and uh, Trump adding fuel to the fire of white supremacists in this country. But when he questions Israel, that seems to be the line you can't cross in the Jewish community. I mean, what he said, I did not agree with, you know, should Israel exist, I think is an absurd comment. I think it's 
totally understandable to question and challenge what Israel does. And I have a responsibility as an American Jew to challenge what the Jewish state does in the name of Judaism. But truthfully, when push comes to shove, I think this was, I'm being a total pessimist about creating a buzz for the film. What about you, Mike? It's interesting, you know. I hadn't I hadn't considered the um, the cynical view of uh, of Seth Rogen here, um, in part because even though this movie, you know, is 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 very Jewish in all the ways that you described, um, you know, I I I I saw it. Maybe this is my you know sort of my own myopia, right? I, I saw it as as being pretty universal in theme. You know, I think of like um, the namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri, uh, which was uh, turned into a movie with with Cal Penn. Um, you know that that really kind of explores you know what it what it means um, to uh, to have this sort of like conflicted relationship you know uh, as a as a post immigrant story uh, post immigrant generation. Um, so I don't know I hadn't considered the cynical uh, point of view um, I, and I think that you know uh, part of me feels like you know Seth Rogen uh, is uh, is you know generally um, regarded as a funny man, you know? And so when you're, when you're a funny man, uh, there's a pressure on you uh, to, uh, to, to say funny things uh, in, in public, right? To, to play to that persona. And I read, I didn't listen to the podcast, but I read in print, you know, some of the things that he said. And what I heard on it was, you know, maybe these reflect uh, his, his, you know, an, an aspect of his point of view, but I, I saw him, you know, trying to maybe failing um, to, you know, to, to, to say certain things with levity. Um, uh, and, you know, I think Seth Rogen is, you know, not a scholar of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He's, uh, he, you know, he's, he, he's a celebrity. Uh, and um, that's not to say he's not an intelligent person. I, I assume he is. And, but, but he's not, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't spend his time and, and make his money um, studying and gaining expertise on the history of Zionism, the history of the Jewish experience, um, the, the nature of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So I, I have a, a certain level of, um, of uh, uh, grace that I'm willing to give anybody, you know, in that, in, in that context. I also know what it's like to, you know, record a podcast. And sometimes you, you know, you say things that, uh, that are not as elegant as you wish that they were because you're in a live recording. Um, and so I have a certain amount of, you know, compassion uh, for that too. Um, you know, that said, I think, I think that, there's, that there's nothing that Seth Rogen said um, that, you know, in its, in its substance um, isn't a, a prevalent view uh, within uh, some segments of, of the Jewish community um, or, or, or isn't a view that, that exists within some segments of the Jewish community. Um, and it may be one that, that you know, have that I disagree with, um, but I, I, I'm, I'm very wary of um, ideological litmus tests for inclusion within Jewish community. I think it's, it's you know, there, there are all, any manner of things that are worth having robust um, and respectful debate about and, and conversation about. Um, I, you know, I think that, you know, Seth Rogen's views about, you know, is it wise to, for, for you know, all the Jewish people to be in one place as a, um, you know, in, in, in a world in which there's, you know, anti-Semitism is, is present and prevalent. Um, his, his question about, you know, the, um, the, the truthfulness 
uh, with which he had been presented the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, I think, you know, for the for the former, I, I you know, I, I disagree, but I'm not sure it's an anti-Semitic, you know, uh, statement. Um, but I think that it's 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 a question that has been present since the beginning of Zionism, uh, and and probably even even longer than that. So uh, so I'm not I'm not so sure that it's you know outside the pale, even if I might disagree with it. And and the latter, honestly. Um, I, I might have said it, you know, with a little bit more elegance than, than he did. Um, but I also believe that I was uh, growing up not given a, you know, full, complete and honest picture of, um, of the reality of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I think that speaks to the generation that taught it to us, because their experiences were so different in this world. We talk about this when we talk about anti-Semitism. Mike, you grew up in the South, so your experiences may have been different. I feel blessed to have gone to a Jewish day school, to grow up in a Jewish area where, truthfully, as a child, I didn't really experience much anti-Semitism. Uh, the stories that my grandfather would tell me were totally foreign to me. I've experienced more anti-Semitism as an adult in the past five years than I did in my entire childhood, which is a whole nother conversation and speaks volumes. Uh, I think it's natural, you're right, for this current generation of Jews, the younger generation, to question the relationship with Israel when so much of Judaism and Jewish expression for generations prior was about this return to Zion, this return to Jerusalem. And that's what so much of Jewish ideology was about. Once that happens, what do we do with the fact that that's not living up to those same Jewish values and ideals that we were taught and that were put in a separate bucket? Where is it fair to challenge Israel and to question Israel? And I don't think the organized Jewish community does that well. I don't think it does it enough at all. I think that's where Seth Rogen is coming from. The fact that he was taught a sort of Disneyland rose-colored glasses perspective of what Israel is and what often happens is sometimes what we see at college campuses, you get turned off when you are taught the totally opposite position, where if we are able to teach our children a nuanced perspective of Israel, that Israel, like any other part of the world, has rose petals, and like any other part of the world, has thorns, and it's challenging, and it's not something that you could put in a tweet because it's complicated, then it allows us to deal with that, which is complicated. But I don't think uh, Jewish community properly did that. And so Seth Rogen's negative experience from an education perspective is now influencing his opinions and perspective now, which really concerns me as a Jewish educator. The impact that we have now on children is not felt now, but will be felt a generation from now. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel of Blessed Memory wrote an article about the impact of Jewish education. And he talked about if you taught arithmetic, then you can give a test and you're able to assess right away if a child understood the concepts of algebra or, or trigonometry. But if you're a Jewish educator, you're unable to truly assess the results of your teaching. You won't be able to assess it until that 12 or 13 year old grows up becomes an adult, goes off on their own, starts their own family, and chooses to affiliate with the Jewish community and build for themselves a Jewish home and see Judaism as important to them. That's why what we and how we educate our children now is so essential, not just for now, but for when they grow up to be the next Seth Rogen. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think that, you know, I agree with everything you said. I think what you're pointing to is, is something that some scholars have, have taken to calling Israelism, right? That, uh, that for, uh, you know, uh, uh, many decades now, um, you know, uh, Zionism or affinity of the, for the state of Israel, uh, connection to the state of Israel has, um, has, has come to replace for many people their, uh, their, their Jewish connection and Jewish identity, right? The, those two things have become for a lot of people synonymous. Um, and, and I think, you know, what, what we're experiencing over the past decade or so um, is the is the collapse of that as a as an identity. I think it's telling that in American Pickle that Seth Rogen, um, you know, presents Israel is not part of the picture of the Jewish conversation between these two generations, right? And um, and and uh, when when he uh, when Ben Greenbaum uh, uh, yearns for or finds a connection with his tradition, it has absolutely nothing to do with the state of Israel. Now, it's the old world, right? Right, the old world, right? It's you know, it's 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 interesting because I think for so for for my parents and grandparents' generation, the thinking was that that because we have the state of Israel that is an incredible novel expression of Judaism uh, and, uh, and a source of extraordinary Jewish pride, um, that this should be our focus, not on the, the horrors of our past um, and of the you know, traditions that sort of bound our ancestors. Um, that that you know, if you want to be proud to be Jewish, be proud of this extraordinary Jewish product. Um, and, and then I think in subsequent years, you know, as things like uh, the, uh, the the Israeli-Palestinian conflict uh, deepened uh, and uh, and and have become more entrenched and bitter, uh, and uh, uh, Jews have can see the the you know complications of of that reality. Um, can see that Israel has both you know rose petals uh, and thorns. Um, and also, I'll add you know in the words of my children, buds, right? Things that uh, are not yet born out of Israel. Um, the the notion of Supplanting your entire Jewish identity with uh, with an affinity and connection to the state of Israel uh, is is much more challenging and much more problematic. But if there's nothing left to replace that, right? If if, if we put to use Seth Rogan's language, like if we put all our eggs in that basket, um, then it's unsurprising when people, like you said, become adults and have no meaningful connection to their um, to their uh, tradition insofar as that tradition doesn't touch on the state of Israel um, and can't access and draw upon that tradition um, when, when life presents uh, uh, moments that would be enriched or deepened through connection to that tradition. I would, I would argue that many or all of life, life's moments would be, but, we, but for many, many years, um, I think the Jewish community on the whole um, has focused on connection to the state of Israel this includes birthright, by the way, focus on connection to the state of Israel um, instead of uh, focusing on a, a meaningful connection um, with our inherited traditions and bringing those into conversation with the here and now. To end on a positive, I, I think for me... End on that, positive or I do violence. Is that better? <laughs> that, that was much better. Uh, you know, for me, seeing Seth Rogen say Kaddish at the end of the film, and connect to ritual for the first time. It was interesting when he goes back to Eastern Europe and he's saying Kaddish, it's not because he feels the urge to do so, but it's because all of a sudden this Jewish community 
who didn't have a minion forever sees another Jew there who's in shul because the synagogue was the only place that would take him in and said, will you count an Arminian? And for the first time, he felt a part of Jewish community. And for the first time, he felt a part of connection. And I think that's on us, right? That's on you and me as rabbis. That's on anybody who's listening that are Jewish communal leaders, whether professional or lay leaders. The idea that creating a welcoming environment is the most important thing we can do. And we only get one chance at it. That especially for millennials, especially for those who were given that old school education that Seth Rogen was given that makes them question whether Judaism and Jewish ritual, not Jewish culture, but Jewish ritual really has purpose in their lives. If we do not welcome them in, if we do not help them find meaning and purpose and belonging in synagogue, synagogue as a Beit Knesset, first and foremost, a house of assembly, then they won't come back. It's all about creating a welcoming environment that allows them to feel like they can be their authentic selves, not have to conform, that they can speak their mind, even when it comes to questioning things that others, including their ancestors, may disagree with. And that's, and then from there, they can explore how to connect to Judaism, Jewish tradition, Jewish ritual, Jewish past, and create a Jewish future. Right. And, and I'll just add one quick final thing to that, which is uh, finding purpose. Right? I think it's, it's meaningful that uh, not only was uh, ben, Gold, ben Greenbaum uh, taken in by the shul in whatever the Eastern European town's name was. Uh, Sputz, I think. Something like that. Um, but he was given purpose. Right. We, we need you to make a minion. You, you count. Right. You matter to us, um, even though we don't know you. Right. You count and you matter, and you can make a meaningful contribution to this community. I think that that's really important, that sort of ownership and empowerment um, that, uh, that, that is, is so often missing and so needed. And so that's our job, to make sure that everybody counts, everybody matters. Each of you listeners, you matter so much to us. That's why we want you to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button, rate and review us. Uh, but on a more serious note, that is the task of the Jewish future. That is the task of world Jewry, especially the American Jewish community, to make sure that everybody counts, everybody matters, so that we can create Jewish experiences for ourselves that are unlike our ancestors, understanding that we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us and create a new Judaism, a Judaism that is authentic to who we are and the world that we live in. And every now and again, a good full sour pickle doesn't hurt. I'm into that. Until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Nah. Take care, everyone.